Um, today we'll be continuing in the Gospel of Mark. So we'll be reading from Mark chapter 14 and we'll be starting from verses 18 to 27. And the big idea here is that Jesus knew our sin, yet he went to the cross. So it's been a while since I've been in the Gospel of Mark, so I think it's only fitting that I begin with a slight reminder of the overview of the book, and then we'll zero into the chapter and the surrounding context. So the Gospel of Mark was believed to be written by John Mark, and it's said to be one of the first Gospels to be recorded under the watch of Apostle Peter. The Gospel of Mark was written to encourage Christians who was living under persecution, under the tyrant Caesar Nero. Therefore, it was only fitting that Mark speaks of Jesus as he is on his way to the cross. So in chapter 14, it commences with the chief priests and the scribes plotting to kill Jesus. Actually, this was a theme throughout the entire um, Gospel of Mark. Though a daunting act that would soon take place, we see further in the chapter that not only were Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees and the scribes, plotting to kill him, but we would see that Jesus' friend would also betray him. And this friend is none other than Judas Iscariot. As we read Mark chapter 14, 18 to 27, we see in there the institution of the Lord's Supper with the disciples. When we think of the disciples, we think of them as being Jesus' friends. Those who he chose, those who saw Jesus' ministry and his great power. But we should also be reminded that these were also the ones who betrayed him. So let us read Mark chapter 14 from verse 18. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take this, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day, that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Gracious God, we thank you, dear Father, for your word that we can dive into it and we can see life and we can see hope and most of all we can see 
your begotten Son, Christ Jesus. We pray, dear Father, that we wouldn't harden our hearts as we look at your word, but help us, dear Lord, that we'll be obedient unto it. In Jesus' name, amen. So after having the Lord's Supper with the disciples, verse 27 begins with a hard truth towards the disciples, which was, you will all fall away. So let us for a few minutes examine what Jesus saw as he looked, as he was with his disciples. So Jesus saw their heart. He foreknew their actions, and the scripture testifies of what would take place. So firstly, Jesus sees our heart. This is seen all throughout the Gospel of Mark. Here's Jesus' response to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. In Mark chapter 7, verse 6, And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus seeing the heart is not only seen in the Gospel of Mark, but is actually seen throughout the entire Bible. God is able to see our hearts. Now I'm not referring to the physical heart that is beating within your chest, although it's not unimaginable to understand that God can see that, but I'm referring to the spiritual part of, of I'm referring to the spiritual part of us, where our emotions and our desire dwell. From it flows our actions and our thoughts. As humans, we can possibly look with our naked eye at the physical human body and see how it acts and come up with a guess that a particular issue might be stemming from a person's physical heart. So example, a heart attack. In the spiritual sense, we are able to see a few of a person's intentions from their heart through their actions. But we know that people don't always act upon the first impulse of their heart's thoughts. We know we have refrained ourselves from seeing or doing desires that have been brought about from our hearts. However, the Lord does not see only our actions, but he sees the desires of our hearts, the very intentions of the desires of our heart. That's not only stated in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, but is also stated in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Verse 7, and it reads, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks on the heart. Secondly, Jesus foreknew the disciples' actions. So foreknowledge, or to foreknow, means to know beforehand what will occur. Knowing the reality before it becomes real. The Son of Man has the same power as the Father and the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to look far to find examples of Jesus' foreknowledge, but we can look in Mark chapter 14, verse 18, as we read. Jesus clearly states, One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. So a critic might look and say, well, that's not necessarily foreknowledge. Jesus is just 
um, stabbing in the dirt. He didn't necessarily say who it was. But if we look at the Gospel of John, uh, which is a parallel to this event that is taking place, it records that Jesus points out the one who he gave the morsel of bread to would betray him. And as you know, this morsel of bread was given to Judas. Third, the scripture told Jesus what would take place. What Jesus said, which was, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, was stated in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, years before Jesus, God became man. So let us be reminded of the fact that no prophecy ever came by one's own interpretation, but persons spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As the verse says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like the Father and the Son, is all-knowing. He led Zechariah to say, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, knowing full well that this was a reference for us how the disciples would act when Jesus would be crucified. So clearly we see that Jesus saw the hearts of men. He knew all of their actions. And scripture testified, testifies of what would be their response to Jesus' crucifixion. Now this morning, we were told that we are not Jesus, that we're not like Jesus in that sense, right? But I want you for a minute to imagine if you were like Jesus in the sense that you were able to see the intentions of people's heart, right? So we were able to see the intentions of everyone's heart. We could see the intentions of our, the hearts of our spouse, our children, our co-workers, our family, and our friends. So how many of them would we seek to be close to if their hearts and intentions were laid bare before our eyes? Or suppose you knew a future hurt from those who were close to you. How easy would it be for you to love your neighbor? Or would you reject relationships to protect yourself from being hurt? We would not like to see the thoughts or the intentions of each other's hearts. Not merely because we believe and have knowledge that men are sinners, but we too have experienced our thoughts and we know the things that our hearts have pondered upon. These things would make us ashamed and disgusted with ourselves if everyone could see the intentions of our hearts. We would possibly live out the rest of our days in isolation, hoping that we would never interact with anyone. Right? So unlike my example towards man, this is true for Jesus. This is what he experienced, he experienced as he was with his disciples. Despite Jesus' knowledge of his disciples' actions towards him as he went to the cross, knowing full well that not only Judas would betray him, but his disciples would betray him, he welcomed them to his table. They brought bread which resembled his body and drank wine which resembled his blood. Knowledge of their past sins or their future denial did not prohibit them from being at the Lord's table. It did not cause them to have no part of Christ. So similarly, 
believer, Jesus knows your sin. He knows that you will follow or run after other lords that your heart many times desires sin. Yet, just as he saw the disciples sin and loved them, Jesus sees your sin and he still loves you. He invites you as often as possible to break bread and drink wine as you think upon his sacrifice on the cross, knowing full well that Christ died once for all sin. So to the believer who fears that they will be lost if they die without asking God for forgiveness for sin that they did in the last hour, know that Christ has died once for all sin. To the believer who struggles with confessing sin, know that Christ has died, he already knows your sin, and has died once for all sin. To the unbeliever, this is also good news for you. Jesus invites the vile, the wretched, the adulterers, the fornicators, the liars, and the thieves. He invites sinners to sit at his table. Your sin made bare before Jesus' eyes can be a dreadful thing, but it can also be a very freeing understanding. No one will escape punishment for their sin, not even the sin that their heart has pondered upon, but that their actions have not done. All men will be held accountable for their actions, for their thoughts, for their words, those who refuse to repent and believe will go to hell and they will be destroyed. And that is a scary or a dreadful thing, but a true thing nonetheless. Yet, the one who comes before God, knowing their sin is not hidden from God, understanding that they are weak and they are frail and they are like all other men, they are like, they're sinners, Understanding that the issue is their heart, they do not turn and seek other gods such as Allah, who lie to them and tell them, do more good than bad. Or go to the Jehovah Witness and lie to themselves and believe themselves as a good person. The person who understands that they need more than a change of action, that they need a heart change, they look to God. So unbeliever, run to Jesus who has died on the cross for sin, whose death is sufficient to save and keep you blameless. So this is why the disciples were able to come together and to break bread with Jesus even though he knew of their sin. And this is why believers today were able to gather together and participate in communion although they too are sinners. So, yes, believers today who gathered are more moral than possibly years gone, but possibly, a high possibility, right? Yes, they don't give in to sin as easily as they once did, but none of these things made it right or made it accessible to the Lord's table. What entitled them to have fellowship with God is because Christ, Jesus Christ died on the cross and that he covers their sin. Those who are covered under the blood of Christ have always a seat at the table.
within the passage, we see also that Jesus still sees believing sinners as sheep. Through a person's actions, we get to see the work that has been done upon their hearts. This means as Christians are regenerated and they are continually sanctified, they have new desires. They love righteousness, they hate sin, and they seek to do God's will. <coughs> Yet, believers still sin. <coughs> Notice that in verse 27, which quotes Zachariah, it says, I will strike the shepherd and the goats will scatter. No, it says, and the sheep will scatter. So, just a pause here. I'm not saying, I'm not making this point to say that at this moment the disciples were saved or not saved. I do not believe that the work that the Spirit, I do believe that the work that the Spirit did in them was unique and we see this. But what I am saying is that these 11 disciples were owned by Christ. Jesus brought bread with sheep. Jesus brought bread with those who were his own. And even as they were sinning or would sin, he referred to them as sheep and he as their shepherd. The grace that Jesus extends to the disciples is the type of grace that a believer should extend to his brother. Yes, Jesus told them the bitter truth. You will scatter. But he was gracious towards them in that he gave them a place at his table. Therefore, as Jesus has been gracious towards us, we ought to be gracious towards believers who have fallen to sin. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, which is a parallel of the passage that I'm speaking on, we see here that when Jesus tells disciples that they will scatter, that they will betray him, Peter says, not I. However, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, here is Jesus' response. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might save you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus sought to pray for his disciples and that Peter's restoration will then in return strengthen the brethren. Actual believers who have fallen to sin not only still have a place at the Lord's table, but a place in the life of other believers, especially at their local assembly. Therefore, we ought to practice church discipline, which is important. Yet, here to see our brothers and sisters work through the, dis the discipline as it aids them in looking more like Christ. A believer who is in church discipline should not wallow in this sin and think, I can do no better, the Lord no longer has plans for my life. But as Jesus sent Peter after restoration to strengthen the brethren, God has work for you to do, which includes helping others to look more like him. He has work for members of his body to be done. This was Jesus' attitude towards his disciples, Peter, and also his attitude towards you. And therefore, this should be our attitude towards our brothers and sisters, knowing full well 
knowing full well that our sin, our, betray our betrayal, and even our hypocrisy, Christ has died on the cross for it. 